What can we do on a small scale that is going to make a huge difference? Ignoring workplace culture and not being intentional about who you want to be and what experience you want to create for your employees, that's, that's a bad decision. And putting that off is a bad decision. And it's not going to lead to you know good results for anyone. Emily Goodson is a writer, entrepreneur, and workplace culture advisor based out of New York City and Los Angeles. She applies the lessons she's learned from her physical disability as an educator, entrepreneur, and speaker. She's been recognized by the National Association of Women Business Owners for Culture Smart, her workplace culture business. American Express, Culture Amp, Lattice, and Monster.com have also featured her workplace culture expertise. Emily is a published LA Times writer on dating and happiness. She serves as an entrepreneur in residence to Verizon's Forward for Good Startup Accelerators, and she's an adjunct faculty member at George Mason University, where she teaches on the intersection of branding, workplace culture, diversity, and inclusion. Several months ago, I received a text message from a friend saying, you have to meet up with this woman, Emily Goodson. So I did. I reached out and what followed was a really fantastic couple of conversations, one of which was recorded for this podcast. Emily and I both share a desire to work and invest our time with workplaces and leaders to help them create thriving cultures. In our conversation today, you will hear us talk about a few different topics related to workplace culture, one of them around what you can do as a leader to connect your body with your heart. Now, you might think that's a little woo-woo, but you know what? There's a lot of research, there's a lot of evidence and support to demonstrate that this disconnection between our mind and our body is really, really detrimental. You'll hear us talk about mudras, meditation, somatic practices, and some really practical insight about how you can invest in your workplace in simple, low-cost ways to create more healthy leaders. Hope you enjoy the show. Welcome, Evolve listeners. I'm really excited. Well, I'm always excited to do this podcast. Really excited to bring in a guest who is coming to us from the United States, Emily Goodson. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to do this. Yeah. And we have a special somebody to thank for connecting the two of us. So shout out to Hilton Barber because he saw you speak somewhere. I think it was in New York. And then I got a text message. And I mean, he was in the audience, I think, right? When he saw you speak. And then all of a sudden we get on and connected and it, it kind of feels like we've known each other for a long time, doesn't it? It really does. We really have that sort of alignment between us in so many ways. But nice to to get to know you. And in Hilton was was such a gem. He, I mean, he made a beeline for me after I got off stage. Tracked <laughs> me down. I was like, you have to meet Carolyn. You're so similar in what you care about, what you talk about. Right. And I think the difference we want to make in the world. And I would add Hilton into that too. And I think the piece that brings us all together is this really strong desire to allow our workplaces to have really thriving cultures. And you and I both know that that is much easier said than done. But why don't we start off by like, what was it that you were talking about that day around organizational culture? Because, you know, the audience here is it's a corporate audience, you know, they go and they do some great work, office workers, knowledge workers. What were you talking about that day? Yeah, great. I So that was a conference for the Page Society in Brooklyn. And the theme of the conference was influence. And mm. it was one when I was asked to do the talk, it was very open, you know, it was come with whatever you would like to talk about related to influence. And, you know, I thought quite a bit about it, because I have been a former head of talent and people like an HR leader and in, in several companies. And I mean, HR is a hard spot to influence. I mean, it is. You know, I I thought about that. And I, you know, what I ultimately decided is to focus on how for me to effectively influence, I had to own and find my own voice. Mm. And, you know, for me, a lot of that happened. Well, I I would say the 80% of it happened after I left 
you know, we'll call it corporate America, quote unquote, but like a traditional workplace and went out to work on my own. That's, that's really where I, when I found my own voice and owned it. And so my talk was about, you know, sort of that journey for me to find that voice and how, you know, companies, if they have people internally, you know, who are struggling to influence for whatever reason, here are some tools that you could, you know, deploy that would help them. And that would have helped me. You know, it's, I do too. And I'm laughing because I am literally writing an article about this right now. Literally this afternoon, I'm going to finish it about it's, it's for a magazine and, and hopefully they'll pick it up. And it's about how in order for me to heal myself, physically and emotionally and spiritually for me i had to go leave the traditional workplace become an entrepreneur have more flexibility in my schedule and the the thesis of the article is literally that should not have to be the case right like, that is a very privileged existence that i have. And, you know, when I was able to, you know, long story short, in 2019, I quit my job, moved to California. It started this incredible journey I've been on, but it's, that is a very privileged existence that people who have financial constraints, you know, caregiver constraints, you know, all any number of things cannot do. So, a hundred percent. Like that's, I, I think my big question right now to workplaces as a thought leader is how can we redo things to allow people this space and flexibility and, you know, sort of ways to find themselves internally. Like I, yeah. you know, I, and I don't have all the answers, but I, I know for me, it was very challenging. I couldn't do it when I worked, you know, and nothing against any of the companies I've worked at. Like I learned so much from all of them, but it was very hard for me, you know, to, to really find and own myself in sort of that going into the office from eight to six every day, working on the weekends, you know, it was very hard. Yeah. Well, and and I think we're at the point now where we can't have everybody exit the workplace and that that isn't the answer. And I know workplaces and leaders are very committed to helping their employees navigate through life. We need to, I, I believe, empower ourselves as leaders to do a few things differently. And so I'm hoping we can take our conversation in that direction. I think your message, your perspective on things can really help people understand this connection, which I talk about in my book between head, heart, and body. Yeah. 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 And and I know when we first met, you made a comment to me, you said, as my physical body opened up, my heart opened up. And I'll just add on to that for our listeners, when your heart opens up, that allows you to be vulnerable and allows you to step into interactions in a different way. Again, all of that is going to be impacted by a level of privilege, we understand, but hopefully, you know, our conversation can help people find their own way on their own journey. So, yeah, because it's, there's so much there and it's, yeah. you know, there are small things you can do and, you know, I, I don't know what the grand design is up there in the universe, but like, you know, maybe I could have found this in the workplace, you know, if I had been in the right workplace or, you know, who knows. But for me, I think what had to happen is this kind of break with who I was to become, Mm. you know, who I want to be. And were you, who were you, Emily? I know, you know, it's, it's funny, you know, I, Carolyn, I, and I know we're getting sidetracked here a little bit, but <laughs> I, somebody asked me the other day, so just to backtrack a little bit, um, for our listeners who, who don't know my background. So I have a physical disability. When I was eight years old, I had basically a malformation start to bleed in my brainstem. And when that happened, I became partially paralyzed on the left side of my body and eventually lost my speech and, and, and have had, you know, sort of a marvelous recovery from that to some Mm. extent. But I do a lot of writing nowadays about disability. And I, that's one of the things I speak about in the workplace quite a bit, because I feel like it's, it's, it's one of those topics that we often don't touch. And 
there's so many of us who are affected by disability in one way or the other or will be. And so bringing a light to that is, is part of my mission. But back to that, back to your question, somebody asked me the other day, she said, how do you, and, and she's a therapist. So, you know, <laughs> probably where the question was coming from, but she was, she said, how do you write and speak about yourself so much? She was like, I, I just, the, the pain of that, like, you know, sometimes having to relive the trauma. How, how do you do that? And I said, well, I honestly think of myself as Emily 1.0, 2 3.0, and 4.0. Yes. Like I really, and honest, I have a, a play in me about that. Like I want to write a play about that. I will write a play about this someday because it's, I think it's important. And so when you say, who were you, Emily? Like when I think about the Emily who lived in Washington, DC and, you know, worked 70 hour weeks and went into the office and ignored her body, I think is mm. the, the big, that's 2.0, right? And and then when I moved to California, I became 3.0 and now I think we're, we're in a 4.0, right? <laughs> <laughs> we move very quickly. Um, but yeah, I think that's who I was, you know, when I was in my 20s was the head was full speed ahead, you know, yep. very driven, very focused on my career. What was, you know, sort of expected of me, not expected of me, the, the body was shut down. And, you know, because of that, the heart wasn't fully operational. I mean, I had a lot of pain. Like, I mean, I, I cried so much in my twenties because I felt rejected, you know, romantically multiple times. And, and I, that was really what was going on in the heart. I, you know, I've always been a very happy person. Like I've always had a lot of joy about me. And so like that was present, but I honestly think, you know, in the past couple of years, as I've started to do a lot of work on my physical body, my heart has opened, you know, I mean, I think they've opened kind of simultaneously, but as the heart's opened, it's a different experience of joy. Like it's a different experience of sometimes I will cry or get teary over how grateful I am. Yeah. Um, and, and so it's a different kind of joy. Like, I think I've always had that feeling of, I'm very grateful to be here. I do love my life. I am very privileged. I have wonderful friends. I live in wonderful places, but you know, recently I think as I've gotten even more healing done on my physical body, that it's a different kind of heart openness. So here's what I am sort of putting together based on what you said. And I have a similar experience as well. To succeed in the workplace, to succeed in life and business, we've been conditioned to believe that the logic, the objective element of our brain needs to be dominant, right? We need to be rational. We need to be clear. We need to set objectives and we need to push through and do all these logical things. What it sounds like happened in your journey, and I'll, I'll kind of connect mine in there as well, is recognizing that our body does give us signals. It communicates with us. There are things that impact how we can perceive the world through our five senses, our nervous system. And when we can open up our perception to recognize that we can get information that way, I feel like there's then a connection that allows our heart to open up a little bit more. But you and I both know in the workplace, this notion of your nervous system as a leadership tool or understanding your body. I mean, that just doesn't really sound like a corporate thing to talk about. Did I kind of like wrap that up in a, in a way that makes sense? You did. It's perfect. Yeah. And so what could, what could we share then, Emily, with the audience in this conversation around making the connection between these three elements of ourself and how did you like through your journey, maybe there's something a little bit more in your journey to, you know, connect with your, your body. Cause you know, you certainly had some different challenges that not everybody's had to deal with. How could you connect that for us? Yeah, I think it really boils down to the right, I'm going to say modality for people and I think for me, when I went out to work on my own and start my business, that's when I really started to explore some different modalities around connecting with, with the body and with the heart. And, 
you know, I think those are things anyone can connect with. You know, those are things that we can bring into workplaces as workshops. Those are things that, you know, even if you are working, you know, sort of for a larger employer, these are things you can do on the weekends and the evenings. But I think it, you know, for me, it was really giving myself the space and permission to explore these different mm-hmm. Modalities, and, and what I mean by that is um, the first one that I'll talk about is I am a very big student of Kundalini yoga. Kundalini mm-hmm. yoga, which I can't remember if we talked about this before. No, we didn't. No. Okay, but I, you know, it's funny because I actually got introduced to it through a friend in Washington D.C. who actually did a workshop for me at one of my startups. I brought okay. her in, and she did a meditation workshop for the company, and. And it was brilliant. And and then I sort of slowly got more and more into it. And now it's I every single day I do a, a meditation, you know, from sort of that practice. And I have I really credit a lot of that, a lot of sort of my opening up to the meditating. And what does so, sorry uh, if I may what so what does meditation mean? So I'm gonna go back to like Carolyn 1.0, which is like yeah. whatever, I don't have time for that it doesn't really work because it does, I can't see the impact right away. So what do you mean by meditation and what did it look like? Yeah. And I, I, I'm glad you asked because it's a great question because there's so many different varieties of meditation. And and that's, you know, even a great point is like, if Kundalini isn't the thing for you, it's there's transcendental meditation. There's so many, you know, sort of Mm -hmm. ways to meditate. For me, it looks like we have very specific kind of practices where for three minutes you hold a certain mudra. And so a mudra is just like how you're positioning your body. And, you know, you, what works for me about these meditations is we chant a mantra in our heads. And I've, you know, one of the things that I'm aware of within myself is that my brain, my head is always going, 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 going. It's going, yeah. it's, you know, who am I meeting after this podcast? When am I going to finish this article? When am I, you know? And so for me, having the mantra is very helpful to kind of calm the brain down. And I only do it for three minutes. And I've even gotten to a place where, you know, traditionally somebody doing this practice would sit on the ground, crisscrossed and with their legs and, you know, go through a formal practice of, I'm going to sit here and meditate. And the meditation I like to do, we like hold our hands like this up against our head okay. and you can do both hands. Um, okay. I can't raise my left, but you would just do both and you close your eyes and you just tap your teeth together. And in your head, every time you tap your teeth together, you say, sa, cha, na, ma. And you don't have to say it out loud, just say it in your head. And so literally for three minutes, I just sit here and Satanama, Satanama. I know it's super powerful. It's supposed, I believe, and it's designed to help get rid of addictive patterns in the brain. And anyway, I think my, my point here that I wanted to make is it's three minutes. I don't even, if I'm having a crazy day, I don't even bother to get down on the ground. I'll just sit here at my desk and do Satanama, Satanama, Satanama. And it resets me. So I think, you know, going back to the question, like that's something small that anyone can incorporate into yeah. their daily life that has really helped me to connect, like slow down, let's connect. What is the heart feeling? Like calm the nervous system, you know? Right. And, yeah. And think more clearly. How do you know what those mantras need to be? Like, is there a site? Is there a teacher that you work with that gives you new ones each day? You know, there, there are websites. I also, I work with a teacher. I have a teacher here in New Mm. York that I work with where I learned the meditation. Actually, there's also, I think it's this one. I think it's this meditation. I have a video on my Instagram and then explaining the instructions. So yeah. And it's the same mantra every day. I know some traditions switch up mantras. You know, we use the same mantra with the same meditation every day. And so what has the impact been for you by doing this three minute thing, holding your hands to your head like that and, and clicking your teeth and saying those things? (laughs) Astronomical. I mean, I think, you know, it's always really hard for me to like nail 
completely connect cause, you know, sort of cause and effect. Yep. Cause I do so many other things too, to my body, but I, right. I, I think the biggest one that I can pinpoint is it's called the addiction meditation. So if you, if you want to look it up, it's called addiction meditation, Kundalini yoga, okay. and that's K-U-N-D-A-L-I-N-I Kundalini is I've noticed that I was very, you know, at first when I, when I heard about this meditation, I was like, why do I need an addiction meditation? Like I'm not addicted to substances or anything like that. And that was my ego talking. And then, you know, after doing this for probably a month, I would say I realized that I wasn't as scared. And one of the things that I realized is that I was addicted to thinking the worst case scenario. Like I, I was very addicted to thinking, and I, you know, I talk a lot about dating because I find dating very interesting, but like one of the things in my twenties, so going back to who was I, this Emily 2.0 is I had been rejected so many times that, which, you know, we could call situational trauma as you talk about in your yeah. book, right? Yep. right? Is I had then formed this mental pattern of every single man I'm interested in is going to reject me. And as I've done this meditation more and more, it's, it opens me up to like, oh, well, maybe I'm not interested in him or maybe he's just super busy today, or maybe we're going to get together down the road. You know, it's right. I don't as quickly go to this um, worst case scenario, which has been wonderful. And and when you don't go there, it allows you to stay open to other possibilities and less in a state of, or opens up the curiosity more, kind of leaves the the doors open for things to be received. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I, you know, one of the other things that I do, and I, I read about this in your book too, I'm glad that other people do this is, I don't know, maybe a couple of years ago, I started, I redid my journaling to be questions. And so literally when, I mean, sometimes I'll just journal free form, Yeah, but almost every day I have five or six questions that I ask myself. And again, going back to anyone can do this. I just bullet them out in a Google doc. I mean, this is not some lengthy practice, but one of my questions is what's the best thing that could happen today? Mm. And I love that question. I love thinking about it every day because it's to your point, it opens up this curiosity and this reception. And I, that's been a big, it continues to be a big lesson that I'm focused on for myself is how can I more receive versus lead and direct? <laughs> so if we go back to Emily and Carolyn 1.0 or 2.0, maybe, yeah. and yeah. we had some of those practices in place, I'm going to start by saying what I think could have happened. And then I'll invite you to share too. If I had journaled even a minute or two in the morning, which I never journaled by the way, at that point in my life, because I didn't know how to do it the right way. Yeah. And I gave myself just some body practices, some somatic practices like that. I think I would have been in an office environment or in a collaborative environment with other people and felt much less reaction, reactionary. I don't don't know that's a word reactionary, but less, less reactive and more open to hearing what other people needed to say or share versus being upset or worried that I didn't do enough or bring enough or say enough, like all of that scarcity mindset that that's what I feel it could have done for me back then. What, what about you? What, what could have helped Emily 1.0 or 2.0? I 100% agree. And I, this is actually goes full circle back to the, my talk at the page society that Hilton attended is I talked about, I could have influenced so much better and more effectively, excuse me, in those workplaces, if I had had these kind of somatic practices and I, you know, I also talk about coaching or in that talk, I, you know, I've talked about coaching quite a bit too, of how coaching has helped me so much, but yeah, I think, I mean, Emily 2.0, you know, I, I was not healthy. I mean, I lost so much sleep. I, I mean, I remember being awake multiple nights, just stressed out and anxious about how somebody was going to react to something or, you know, just these worst case scenarios. And 
And and then the the other thing I remember is just feeling very silenced. And that was almost a self-inflicted silence. You know, it, it was my throat would just close up when I got very passionate about something. And that, and that still happens. Like it's something I'm still working on, but I'm much better than I was. But I, I think, yes, if I had introduced some of these somatic, practice, somatic practices earlier, it, it would have helped. But, you know, as you and I both know, like how, you know, a lot of this is education, like nobody, you know, I've really only become educated on all of this in the past five years. It's it's education. I think the other piece of it though, is openness. And usually we don't change our behavior until we, well, not usually I'm going to say most of the time, you're not going to change something unless there's a reason to, unless there's a challenge or something getting in your way. And, and I believe that our life, our workplaces are at that point of no return. We cannot get any more production or performance or productivity. Like those words, just like, Oh, stop. That's not what we're really, that's actually, I don't believe that's not our actual end goal is like productivity measures. Our, Our end goal, I think is creating this space and this place for people to be able to think and feel and perceive and, and like open up to receiving message. That sounds a little bit wooey. I don't want to say receive messages, but like to sense and be able to use our five senses so that we can gather more information around us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm curious. So I know, I know that you are very committed to, you know, writing and and your business. And and I know you've also worked with some startups too. Yeah, quite a bit. I mean, startups are my bread and butter. I mean, that's where I grew up. So I, yeah, essentially I thought I wanted to be a teacher. Well, I am a teacher, but I I thought I wanted to teach, you know, high school. Yep. And that's what I studied in college. And then eventually found my way into uh, campus recruiting and then building HR departments and startups. And um, I did that in several startups in Washington, D.C. And when I went out on my own, one of the big reasons I did that was because there was there was and is such a need. I mean, there's such a need. And I wanted to impact as many startups as I could. And I felt I could do that through consulting and working with various ones versus in-house at just one startup. And I think startups are super interesting. I love them because they are, they're our innovation ground, right? Like I am constantly inspired by what people are working on. I mean, I just finished, I was advising a group of startups that were in an accelerator program with Verizon and they were all focused on health equity and how do we improve health Mm. equity? And I mean, just, the, 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 you know, kind of breadth of products that people were working on is just inspiring. I mean, it's, you know, they're filling, startups are filling a lot of needs we have in society. At the same time, workplace culture tends to be the first thing that goes out the window in many startups because people don't think they have time for it, or they think it can come later. And that's really what I, try and help in my advising and consulting work is not that different from kind of the somatic practices is what can we do on a small scale that is going to make a huge difference, right? Ignoring workplace culture and not being intentional about who you want to be and what experience you want to create for your employees. That's, that's a bad decision. And putting that off is a bad decision and it's not going to lead to, you know, good results for anyone. What, what do you find happens with startups who do invest in their workplace mm. culture? And what does what does invest in workplace culture mean? Is that a monetary investment? Is that a time investment? That's a good question. I think it's more time than it is okay. monetary. I mean, it can be done very, it can be done without a lot of resources, right? It, yep. But it, it's really about the time and just in the space. You know, I I think the first thing that's really important to invest in is the founders or leadership team defining what are our values as a company and who do we want to be to our employees and our customers and and, and ideally aligning that, you know, ideally having a very nice alignment between brand and employee experience and culture, you know, and so I think it's figuring out who you are and then 
then you extrapolate that into like, what are our systems and, you know, how do we set up this organization in a way that is going to be accessible to people and allow people to grow. And again, you can do that in very small ways that are going to make a huge difference. Yeah. I mean, and not to mention, I mean, you know, aside from like huge difference, you know, from your, for your personal happiness and your employees happiness, like also make a huge difference, like financially, like yeah, some of these things, it's, you know, it's, it's as simple as, having, you know, a a system, a tech system for recruiting and standardizing questions that you're asking people, like, yes, it is the unbiased way to do things and the, you know, sort of right way to do things, but it's also going to save you money. I mean, you're not going to be willy nilly, you know, chasing (laughs) after candidates and not being able to track things. There's a practical side to all of this, as well as a, you know, sort of, I don't know if I want to say moral imperative, but you know, it's people and profit, right? Yeah. You know, you know, what came up for me as you were sharing that is, so I I have the pleasure of working with some startups and also more of my clients are corporate sort of public, private, that sort of thing. But I do know in the corporate world, there is a real drive to encourage entrepreneurial thinking to help drive innovation. So I see that come out a lot. And what when you were sharing that that investment of time for for these startup companies in defining their values getting clear on what that looks like i think this is where when we look to the corporate world is how are you using your values to connect with people and how are you living your values yeah it's probably one of the biggest gaps and i'm guessing you see it too it's really easy to say hey here are our values we practice them every day and I believe people think they are practicing their values, but the experience that the people around them are having doesn't always match. A hundred percent. It's it's a huge gap. I'm actually doing a presentation on this exact topic in two weeks at a conference called CultureCon, which is in Madison, Wisconsin. And we're talking, I mean, we're talking about corporations just because, you know, they are more so in the limelight than, than a startup, but it's rampant you know, regardless of the company size, but, you know, you, you see, at least here in the States, like there are numerous examples, you know, from the past couple months of corporations, you know, doing perhaps performative things, you know, that they say are in line with their values, but they're really not. And then, you know, it comes out in the press and it's like, okay, well, we, we supported this person and we use them as part of a marketing campaign, but our financial dollars and who we're giving money to or who our um, suppliers are, you know, there, there's the gap there. There's right. you know, a substantial difference there. And, in, in you know, what we say we believe on Instagram versus where we're putting our dollars and, and, and the hard, you know, from a public vantage point, like the, the tricky thing is like, I don't know what's going on inside a company, right? I don't know. It's, it's handbook and how it's, it's town hall meetings are run. And I don't know, you know, exactly what's going on for, for most companies, but that's the other facet of this, right? It's like, if you are saying we as a company are inclusive and your pay equity is all over the board, that's a problem. Like it's a problem. They'll know it and people will know it. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Yeah, because I mean, the transparency right now is, I mean, everything is transparent, right? And, you know, Glassdoor, the social media, everything is transparent now. And that's, I tell my clients that a lot is I say, you know, if, if they have a big org change coming up or, or, you know, if we're working through some kind of big change that they're, you know, sending out a communication on or doing a communication on, I'm like, expect that this will be external. Like, yeah. It, it may be yeah. an internal calm that we're putting together, but you need to write this with the expectation that it could be external. And we need to really make sure our kind of values are in it. Like our values should be guiding this decision and they should be infused into the communications to the employees, the system set up for employees, the brand, how we're representing the brand to customers. And it's, yeah, it's a big, there are a lot of gaps right now. And I think this is a big moment for companies to really step up and be like, yeah, no one's perfect, but how can we be really intentional about who we are and how we show up and, and, you know, make that one and the same. 
And, you know, one of the things that I believe, I wrote about it in my book as well, I'd be curious to get your thoughts, is we don't live into our values 100% of the time. And I think we need to normalize that. We're human and we're trying to show up the best that we can. And so many of us are just like the capacity to deal with life right now is just, it's being blown out of the water for people. So I would love the message for people to get is like, you don't live your values hundred percent of the time. So stop saying that you do. And when you stop expecting yeah. that from the top down, it gives a bit more space for people to bring each other in, to use those values in a healthy way versus pretending that everything's okay. Yeah. And to use that moment to say, to be honest, if you're, you know, the leadership team of a company to use that moment to say, Hey, we made a mistake. Like we know this is our value and we know that we don't have the comps, the compensation system yet that we want, but we're working on it, you know, and we know there's a gap here, but we're, yes, I know a hundred percent agree because we, I mean, even as people, as individuals, like, I mean, there are, you know, Definitely times where, you know, one of the questions we had talked about ahead of this and that I know you like to ask people is like, when have you been reactive? Yeah. You know, I think about times that I have been reactive and I don't show up as I want to. And I'm not like, you know, one of my values is I really want to live with this open heart. And I really am have been working on expressing to people how I feel in the moment in a, you know, in a healthy way, assuming it's a, it's a healthy response. And, you know, I can think about this time where I, long story short, there was, you know, someone I was really interested in dating and he told me he was dating somebody else. And I just locked down. Like I, Mm. my body just shut. I mean, I, I will remember this forever. Like I, I remember he told me while we were walking and I just, I mean, it was like I blacked out and then we we got to where we were going and I, I, I couldn't even process, it. you know, I couldn't even process what I wanted to say. And, you know, a couple hours later, I wrote him and I said, like, hey, I, I'm really sorry I shut down and here's why it happened. And it's because I wanted to date you and it was bad yeah. to hear you were dating somebody else. But like, that's a, that's an example right there. But like, that is not my value. Like, I want to tell people like I, with all of myself, I wanted to tell him in the moment, face to face, how I felt, but I just couldn't, you know? And so, yeah, I mean, I think that's a personal example, but you know, the same thing happens in companies, you know? Oh, absolutely. And, and the awareness. So I think what we're circling back to here is like self-awareness is so critical. Like we need to be investing in ourselves to elevate that self-awareness because yes, you shut down in the moment, you were able to circle back and have a health. It sounds like it was a healthy exchange to end things off. And, you know, I think back to, again, Carolyn 1.0, I would shut down or I wouldn't have the best response and I never circled back. And I just didn't know that I could circle back. And I think that's where, if we circle back to what we were talking about earlier, this integration of our head center, our heart center, and our body center, like yeah. understanding the sensations that our body's taking in through the, the five senses can help us find that courage, that ability to circle back, mm-hmm. to be less reactive, or when we are reactive, to find yeah. a place to to respond with more, I guess, grace and compassion. Yeah. So- <laughs> So I'm curious, Emily, is there, is there anything when you think of the work that, that we're both doing and where we would love to see organizations like in the future, what are like two or three key things that come to mind for you? I mean, I would like to see organizations provide affordable and accessible and quality coaching opportunities for everyone. Mm. And not everyone has to have a coach and not everyone, I mean, I don't want anyone to be forced into using a coach if that's not appropriate, you know, sometimes it it is, it is appropriate, but, you know, I think just having access to some of these tools is really important. Um, I mean, that's, to me, that's the biggest, the biggest thing I always go back to is I want people to have the tools for healing. And, and to me, that's, having access to whether it's, you know, uh, a couple of free therapy sessions, whether it's access to leadership coaching, 
like that to me is paramount in addition to like really taking a good look at like your benefits and thinking about like, how are people getting the coverage they need to take care of their bodies is, is what it goes back to for me, because I just think so many of us are disconnected from our bodies. I mean, we, yeah. and I know I'm biased because I personally was very disconnected, you know, for my teenage years and twenties, but I just really, if I, Yes. If I could see organizations do that, I like, if I could drive that change, like that's huge. And then I think the other thing that's huge is inclusion and representation. I, you know, I, I think to me, one of the things that I really was hard for me as a younger person was I never saw anyone who walked like me in the workplace. I, you know, I, I don't, you know, I rarely saw anyone in a wheelchair in my workplaces, you know, and, and not that all disabilities are visible and not that all of them are physical because they're not. But I think, you know, the same thing applies for gender. The same thing applies for race, religion, ethnicity, you know, immigration status. And um, so I think, you know, taking a good look at the resources we're providing for people's bodies, but then also a good look at the resources we're providing for to make people see themselves. Yeah. Others, if, if that makes sense. Yeah. I, I love the way you've said that too. I'm really fortunate. My husband's organization, the company he works for, they provide unlimited support or unlimited coverage at 80%, but unlimited for any type of therapy. And that to me is a huge signal of how they are supporting. And it's a good step forward. Is it perfect? Is it the only thing? No, but you know, I've been doing somatic experiencing therapy, cognitive behavioral therapy. It just, it opens up a lot of different options instead of being forced into, you know, one or two that the organizations and the insurance companies have deemed are the right ones. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I'm reacting that way because again, this article I'm writing is 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 touches on that too. Of you know how how frustrating it is for me sometimes of all of the therapies and alternative treatments I do, none of them are covered by insurance because yeah. they're not traditional. I am a big fan of osteopathy is something yeah. that I've discovered and has helped me tremendously. And that's, it's not covered by insurance. And it's again, back to this, you know, I am very privileged in that I can put some of my, you know, revenue towards this and choose yeah. to do that. But it's how do we get this more broadly accepted so it can help so many other people? And yeah, that sounds like an, an amazing benefit, right? Of, you know, and even to our point earlier, even if it's like, we're a small company, but we're going to give everyone $500 or $1,000 every quarter, yeah. every year, just something I think that helps people. One of the, I mean, honestly, probably the most impactful story from my HR experience is I was at a company and we offered, it was only like two or three therapy sessions, free therapy sessions as part of the employee assistance program. And as a result of that, one of the employees realized that they weren't being their authentic self and that mm. they needed to transition genders and gender orientation and identity. And I have never been, I mean, I really have continued to be so moved by that, that wow. We added this benefit and this person realized after, you know, decades that they weren't being, they weren't who they truly wanted to be. And, you know, it was only three sessions of therapy. It, it wasn't a ton. And it's, you know, those things can make, they do, they make a huge, make difference. A huge difference. And I will always go back to, you know, I just, you know, this person is so happy now and, if I accomplish nothing else, the fact that I got that EAP program introduced during open enrollment, it's huge. Yeah, it is. And, you know, I'll, I'll come back to that example too. That person, regardless of how they identify now, yeah. are probably going to be so much more productive yeah. and be able to contribute to the values in the organization, the bottom line and all of those things. So, you know, yeah it's not always a direct line to what we want. And I think what I'm gathering out of this conversation is how can we help employers and leaders recognize other ways to get the results that 
they're looking for. We, we have to find new ways. Our bodies, mm-hmm. our minds, our hearts cannot take any more of how we're doing it now. It's so true. It's, I, I love this conversation hundred percent. It's all about the new ways and it's, you know, somebody called, told me once, like, it's, it's that different thread. It's like, how do you pull that, that thread, which is, you know, sort of very much how I've lived my life in the past five or six years. But again, not everyone needs to be an entrepreneur. Not everyone needs to be focused on, you know, five different projects as I am and, and nor should they be. That's not, you know, that's not for everyone. And how can we introduce some of this, the, the new ways of thinking and the new ways of experiencing that I've found in my entrepreneurial life. How do we pull that into larger corporations? Because we can. We can. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Like think of the things that we just talked about. Some of them didn't even cost money. Most of them. I mean, most of them didn't cost. I mean, and that's the thing about it. And so an EAP is an employee assistance program. I mean, it costs maybe a dollar an employee. It is not, it, unless things have radically changed in the market, yeah. um, it is not a huge investment. And it's it's something that, you know, the comprehensive ones will get people financial literacy, therapy, mental health, yeah. um, grief counseling. I mean, you know, and, and the other thing is like, just bringing in a speaker series, I think can do, I mean, I've seen this through my personal experience, but you know, the organizations that bring me in to talk about my experience as a woman with a physical disability, I mean, people feel so, it is an honor for me to do them because people feel so seen afterwards and not that they need, then need to go around talking about their own stories. They don't need to do that unless they want to, but just, I think having, again, this is, these are low cost things that we could do to just acknowledge people's experiences, you know, whether it's a disability, whether it's a caregiver, whatever it is, it's the acknowledgement, I think, and and the education, right? I mean, that's the other piece on the benefits side is, you know, I'm sure your husband's company does a good job of saying, this is our benefit, please use it. Like, Please use it. You know, this is not something tucked away in some handbook. Yeah. You know, that nobody reads. It's, you know, it's lived, you yep. know. Absolutely. Emily, where could our listeners find you on <laughs> social? Where could they like follow more of your work? I know that you're doing more writing. So how could our listeners find you? Yeah. So EC Goodson is my sort of handle everywhere. So that's my website, ecgoodson.com. And I am okay. on Instagram and LinkedIn and Medium under that same handle. Wonderful. Uh, Well, we'll encourage everybody to go there. We also make sure that they're in the show notes as well. Fabulous. Yeah. Now I usually end off the podcast asking three questions. Are you ready for those? I think I, yes, I did already answer my reaction. Well, I was going to say, we, we, have, <laughs> we, have, we have covered a, a few. So, you know, if this is your first time listening to the podcast, I ask these three questions to every guest because they are part of what I believe is the evolved leader. So they're all elements of my book. So the first question was, and you can say, perhaps you've already shared this because you shared some wonderful stories, but the first question is around self-awareness. And so I know you shared that moment with that individual and he said he was dating somebody else, but like, uh, you know, a moment where there's tremendous insight about who you really were as a person or who you really are as a person. Anything else you want to share around that? Yeah. I, this, I can, this is another example. So I think definitely that example that I talked about earlier, where somebody I was interested in romantically out of the blue dropped that he was dating somebody and that was, and I shut down and I didn't want to shut down. And I am excited going forward, you know, whenever something like this happens again, to really try and Hmm. myself to stay open or not push isn't the right word, but hopefully be in a position where I can stay open. Right. And then I think another one that maybe where I wasn't reactive, but where I, I was very self-aware and it also showed me how much I've grown. You know, what I talked about, one of the things that I've worked on for a number of years is receiving and specifically receiving help as, you know, as someone with a physical disability, that was something I never was very good at. I didn't Mm. want help. Yeah. And so last fall, I've always wanted to go. I love Mexico, like adore it. I think it's fabulous country. And 
I had always had this sort of interesting connection to Mexico because when I was growing up, my, my mother told me I couldn't go on a trip because she was afraid I would climb up a, a, you know, a, a pyramid and not be able to get back down Wow! because of my physical disability. And, and that was something that really stuck with me for a long time. And, you know, just taking some of a meta perspective to that, right? Like if I, if, if I was the parent in that situation now, like how could we think about somebody helping Emily up or how could we, you know, I mean, there are all sorts of ways to get around that. But, but I think I had taken on that, that sort of statement of, oh, you're going to climb a pyramid and not be able to get back down and then have to live up there, you know, like, yeah, yeah. um, irrational, but I had taken that on. And anyway, I last fall was down in Mexico city and went out to Teotihuacan, which is where there are many, you know, kind of many of these stared pyramids and from the Aztec and Mayan eras. And, you know, I was like, all right, come hell or high water. Like I'm getting up on, like, this is, I want to do that. And, you know, I, I got there and, you know, the first thing I'm struck by is yeah, these things are steep, number one, and there's definitely no railings anywhere. So like, it's definitely not accessible by any means. And it was, you know, I think it was a good moment of self-awareness for a couple. I think it was a moment of self-awareness and growth for a couple reasons, because, you know, I, I went up the first kind of terrace, basically it's, it's a, you know, kind of an elevated terrace and a courtyard in the middle with a much taller pyramid. I went up the first terrace just fine. And then I got up, I'm on, on the top of it and I'm looking down and I'm like, how am I going to get back down? Yeah. And, you know, and, and I was sitting, I don't know, I was standing there for 30 seconds or so. And this very nice man from Utah, who I did, didn't know, walked over and said, can I give you my arm? And I said, yes. And, you know, it was just such a moment of growth because I, I feel like Emily 2.0 or 1.0 would have said, no, like I want to figure this out on my own, you know, yeah. and sit down. And so I think that was just a good moment for me of, I would, you know, it was sort of an awareness of, yes, there are some physical limitations to me as much as I would not like them to be, but then too, like I am much better now at receiving help. Mm. Oh, that's wonderful. That's wonderful. Yeah. And, yeah. and how gracious of that individual. It sounds like he did it in a very honorable way as well. Like that honored you that, that wasn't dismissive of, of you. He was so nice. David, if you're listening to this, like, oh my gosh, like it was so sweet. David, David from Utah. He's from Utah. <laughs> All right. If I'm ever in Utah, I'm going to ask, I'm going to ask around for David. Are you David? <laughs> it was David. Um, So now the second, the second question, I think we've talked a fair amount about, which is a practice that you use to center you, to bring you some calm. And, and, you know, we, we talked about that one. So I think anything else you want to add to that or did we already? I think we cover, I mean, my, my top kind of ones are, are Kundalini yoga, journaling and osteopathy, which we covered. Covered all three. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. Now, the third question has to do with co-regulation and this notion that we are connected to to each other. So the question I like to ask here is, what is a song or genre of music that makes you feel connected to something bigger than yourself? I love this question. And I think we talked about this previously is the Hamilton soundtrack. I just saw Hamilton two nights ago. Really? Yes. Did you love it? You absolutely love well, it. so and now I'm cutting you off, but there was this whole thing. I didn't actually know the story of Alexander Hamilton. Yes, I know you're probably all going like gasping. How did you not know? So I didn't quite follow. I'm like, oh my gosh, I have to listen to all the words of a song, which I yeah. don't do well. But I'll tell you, I felt I I could feel the music and then I felt I was still part of it, even though I wasn't listening to the words. Yeah, it, it's an incredible piece of art. It's and maybe you and I weren't. I thought we did. We talk about this last time. I don't think we talked about it because I would have remembered you when okay. I was sitting there watching it. Well, somebody I talked to somebody else recently about this because I, I mean, I just think Lin Manuel Miranda is a genius. He's the artist who wrote Hamilton and was actually the original Hamilton played Hamilton when it was on Broadway the first or still on Broadway, but he was the initiator. Yeah. Um, 
And I think it's, you know, for me, it's, it brought, it continues to bring so many people together in a lot of different ways. I mean, people I know who don't like any other form of theater love Hamilton. People who don't like musicals love Hamilton. And again, you know, it's, these are imperfect people, right? These are people who did really not good things. And, and, you know, the, the show shows that complexity. And I, I, to me, I've seen it two times now live and every single time I get something new out of it and it's, it brings you into this sort of universal state. And, and the other thing that I, I really like about it, and I, I'm glad we didn't talk about this before because I think you're going to love this. So they, as President Obama was leaving office in the United States, the cast went to the White House to perform it, perform some of the songs. And I, I think, you know, what President Obama said afterwards is so emblematic of what I want to do with my life. And he said, it is rare that a form of art reminds us what's best about ourselves. And I just, I I love that statement. I love it so much. And I think of it every single time that I write an article or go out to do a speaking engagement, because I think about like, what am I presenting that is going to help people remember what's best about themselves? And I, you know, I just, there's something very special about I mean, it's one Pulitzer, you know, it's, it's, it's universal. It's regarded as, as a masterpiece, but that soundtrack, it is, there is something about it that I think the way he alchemizes all the different genres and the histories and the speaking and the singing and the rapping, like it is, it's a marvel. It it truly is. It it really is. And what I kept thinking of, we hadn't had that conversation was how the art allowed your mind it allowed you to sense and feel Mm. in a very different way I love musicals I've been to see most and this one was so different and I think there was just a full integration of mind body and heart yeah and it it was beautiful it's beautiful I I love that that you just saw it this is kismet yeah yeah I mean, it's, you know, this song, there's a song in it called Burn with Hamilton's wife. And, you know, I mean, she is just the heart wrenching sort of agony of someone you love doing something that hurts you. Yeah. And that's universal, right? We all have that. Like, we are all going to be disappointed by the people we love. Like, again, imperfect people, but it's just, it's so beautifully written and so beautifully performed that it really does. I mean, I cried during it, you know, I think I did. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, you know, most people I know have that, have a very somatic reaction to it that you're right. It's a scale of emotion. You know, a lot of musicals are are happy the whole way through, which is great. And sometimes that's what you need, but you know, this is so complex and it explores. Yes. the highs of, you know, winning a, a war and the highs of, you know, career advancement. And then it's, you know, death and grief multiple times and yep. marital issues. Like it's, it's, it's very, all in, it's very well done. So it, yeah. it's, I haven't seen it. I, I highly recommend, I even recommend, I listened to the soundtrack before I saw it. So, well, and I definitely am going to put that on my playlist. And I know I say that after most podcasts, I'm like, I'm going to go listen to that song. But I do know after I saw it, I thought, oh, one, I think I'll, I'll see it again. And I do want to listen to that soundtrack more and sort of absorb more of, of it. Yeah, I mean it's 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 a masterpiece. Yeah, I, as really a fellow is. a fellow writer, I mean it is just the the illusions he has in there and the references. It's it's stunning. Yeah, it is. It really is. Well, Emily, we have to give another shout out to Hilton for bringing us into each other's worlds. Thank you so much for coming on the show. And I hope you know maybe we'll share a coffee one day. I don't drink coffee. So maybe we'll share a beverage of choice one day, <laughs> a meal, baby, maybe even a stage, but yeah, I'm just, I'm really grateful to have come into your orbit. Likewise. This has been wonderful. The time has just flown by.
but thank you for having me and thank you for all the work you're doing in our world too. Yeah. Thanks, Emily. And thank you to all of you for tuning into another episode. Don't forget to like and subscribe to the podcast because there are lots more guests coming to you here. Take care, everybody, and have a great day. If I were to distill this conversation with Emily into one simple sentence, it would be this. When you invest time and effort into reconnecting your body to your mind, it will unlock so much potential and release you from a lot of that internal struggle. Our lives are incredibly busy. They're full of chaos and turbulence and a lot of uncertainty. And this conversation with Emily was another reminder at the disconnection we can feel when all of that happens. I hope you found our conversation helpful and practical with some really useful ways that you can find your way back to yourself. I know you can do it. I also know it's not easy, but we got you. We've got more guests coming up on our podcast that will continue to help you on your leadership journey. And don't forget, my latest book, Evolve, The Path to Trauma-Informed Leadership, is available for purchase online and in most major bookstores. Thanks for tuning in.